Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Great. So Grace, if you could read from chapter 4, verse 17, mm-hmm. and then go all the way through. So you've got to make it really exciting. Oh, put, okay. some, put some gusto into it. To verse 21 of chapter 5. Just read the whole thing oh through for us. Can you do that? You see, before she volunteered, she didn't realise I wanted so much. But you can do it. I believe okay. that. Okay? Yep. Great. Go for it. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live... Is that all right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Let me start again. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him... Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbours the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil." If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behaviour. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible, and this is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts, and give thanks for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Last verse. Oh, last verse, sorry. Oh, right. yeah, the last one.
Fantastic. Thanks, Grace. And the last verse is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Steve? There you go. Thank you very much. That was excellent. That's quite a big passage, isn't it? Uh, and there's quite a lot in there as well for us. And um, what I'd like to do over the next couple of weeks is look at just a couple of key verses in here, but we will cover everything that's in here, but just focus on a key, few key verses. And what we're going to do today is talk about putting off, and then next week we're going to talk about putting on. Uh, and what I'm hoping that we can do is bring some clarity into this whole area, because it's my experience, personally, and others that I've known, that this can be an area where there's a bit of confusion about our position, about how we need to live, and about... What's happened to us when we came to Christ? And um, what I want to do is just start off by just focusing on these two verses, verse 22 and verse 24, where Paul says to put off your old self and to put on your new self. And some of you might have, so I think, was that NLT, Grace, that you read? Yeah. So that will have said sinful nature. Some of the more literal translations, like if anyone reads a New King James Version in here, uh, then you're to be congratulated for the effort and um, first off but old man will be the word they use to put off the old man um, and um, what I want to do is just ask a question really so I really want some responses here there's no right or wrong answers I just want to gauge what we all think when the instruction comes to put off the old man or the, the old self uh, or sinful nature what is it that we're being asked to do? I promise it's not a trick question. What is it that we're actually being asked to do? Because I think it's really important that we don't read these verses and we, maybe we've all got a different idea of what that means or maybe we're not really quite sure. What we've got that follows is a whole list of things that we've got to stop doing and then a list of things that we've got to start doing. And it can be easy for us to then just look at the list and think, well, it's just a to-do list, is it? It's, it's a to-not-do list and a to-do list. But if we see it that way, we've missed the whole point of what Paul is trying to bring to us. So I'd like to throw that question out there. What do we think we're being asked to do? Change my thinking. Change the way you think. Mandy, great. Take Ian? Take on a new identity in Christ. Okay. Anything else? Stop doing things that are unhelpful. So we're talking about lifestyle in the way that we live. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? Selfishness. Selfishness. Yeah. So put off selfishness. Yeah. Anything else? What does it mean to you personally, perhaps? Watch how you behave. Yeah, okay. Changing things that you used to do. Changing things that you used to, I like that. Used to do. So he's talking about an old pattern, an old way of living, and he's saying You've, that's not you anymore, which comes back to identity. Someone said identity. Um, anyone else? Change of priorities. Change of priorities. I like that, JB. It's great. Anyone else? Repent, yeah, and repentance is a change of behaviour. Yeah. It's a change of direction, isn't it? Repentance is. It's not, it's not just necessarily changing your mind about something. It's more than that. It, it means different things to all of us, doesn't it? And um, what I want to do is just um, to start with, let's just consider what the context is for these verses. 
because we've kind of jumped right in. I'm trusting that everyone is pretty well versed in Ephesians now because you've been in Ephesians for months. I'm hoping you've read it through a few times, absorbing it, and you're quite familiar with it. So, but the context here in chapter four is that Paul has been talking. If you look at your Bibles, you'll see right at the beginning, he says, um, I'm urging you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've received. And then he starts talking about the fact that we've all come into the same thing. So he's on about one faith, one baptism, one God, one father overall. And then he talks about the thing that Jesus did when he ascended, which was to give these resurrection gifts to the church. The purpose of which was to bring the church to maturity. And then in the second half of that section, sort of verses 13 through to sort of 16, Paul then is sort of giving us this whole revelation that he's received, which is that Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. And you've got this slightly strange picture of the head is already perfect and fully formed, but you've got this not properly formed body underneath it. I don't know if you can imagine that in your head. It's a bit weird. It's probably just the way my brain works. But this kind of infant body attached to an adult head. (laughs) And the picture that he says is is that this infant body is going to grow and it's going to grow into the fullness of the head. So the head Christ is full and God's plan is for the body attached to him which is all of us, is that we will grow and mature to full stature. And the stature is about the head. The fullness and the maturity and what maturity looks like is dictated by the head. And that's the context here. And therefore, Paul is now starting to say, okay, what does that look like? Because in verse six, just before verse 16, Paul starts to say, okay, well, what does that mean for each one of us? And he actually says is that the body is built up as each part, each member plays their part. So us playing our part has to therefore mean that we have to put off the old life. And that's contingent on us doing that. The body cannot mature unless all of us put off our old life. And that's God's plan and purpose. So therefore, if, if there's a significant group within this body that choose not to do that, this body is not going to mature, is it? God's whole plan and purpose hinges on whether you and I will take up this call to put off our old life. So it's really important. God's put all these chips on us, hasn't he? But thankfully, nothing's impossible for God. So I'm every confidence that what God has chosen to do and the way he's chosen to do it, he is fully capable of doing that through us, which is encouraging. Because when I look within, I don't have that same confidence. But when I look at him, that's when my confidence comes. And this morning in worship, we were reminded of that, weren't we? Stop looking at the problem, stop looking inward, but look outward, look to him. And then the peace and the confidence and all that we need comes. So let's just go across to Romans 6, verse 6, because there's a, a really key scripture in here that will help us understand the mechanics of what we mean by putting off. So Romans 6, verse 6, Paul is talking about something similar here in his letter to the Romans. And he's talking about being dead to sin and alive to God. He talks about being united with Christ through the waters of baptism and our old life being cut off. But then he says in verse 6, he says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So what, has anyone got any other translations of that? NLT, grace. 
What does it say? We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Anyone else got a different to that? Yeah, NIV. NIV is very good. Uh, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Have you got a footnote in there to that? Uh, <laughs> Cheeky footnote. Yes. What does it say, Ben? Um, so this is on... Uh, so, so where it says might be done away with... Might be done away with NIV. Or be rendered powerless. Did you hear that? Be rendered powerless. So that our sinful nature might be rendered powerless. Now we're starting to get a little bit into the detail of what actually has happened and maybe what we're being asked to do. That word that Paul uses there is kartageo, and it means to render something inoperative. So it just doesn't have any power or force to do anything anymore. It's just ineffective. That's what it means. And what Paul's saying is, is that our old nature has been crucified. It doesn't have any power anymore. So if we go back now to the passage in Ephesians 4, we're being asked to put off something. But we have to ask the question, well, again, what are we putting off? And I know I keep coming back to this, but it's really important because if we're not careful, we can see this as the sinful nature having some kind of power over us still. And we've got to somehow of our own efforts put it off. But that's not actually what we're being told at all. And if you go across to Colossians and chapter 3, I don't know whether you know this, but Colossians has lots of similarities to Ephesians. And um, scholars think that some of the things that, we're, that Paul wrote in Ephesians, he was then repeating effectively, but just expressing differently in the letter to the Colossians. And sometimes one of the, the really helpful things to do is look to other parts of the word just to help you understand something you're reading. And Colossians is a good one to read alongside Ephesians because Paul may say the same thing but just in a different way and that can kind of just help us with our understanding really. So we're looking at Colossians 3 and verse 10 and this is where we have a sort of a, a parallel passage. In my Bible it's headed up, putting on the new self. And in verse 10 he says this, and having put on, and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the creator. I'll just go back to verse 9. He says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. So Paul actually uses a different tense here. And the truth of it is, in Ephesians, he's using the same tense. It's the aorist tense. And it means something that's happened in the past. So if we go back to Ephesians, just go back to Ephesians in your Bible, and verse 22 a better way of rendering this verse, instead of to put off your old self, would be having put off your old self. Yeah. Having put off your old self. And we know that's true because we've just read in Romans 6 that that has been crucified and it's been dealt with. Yeah. So as much as it's been put off, it's been rendered powerless in our lives. So therefore, we just have to get things in the right perspective that actually Jesus has dealt with our sinful nature. He's dealt with our old self. So therefore, we've got to come back to the question, what are we being asked to do here? What are we actually being asked to do? If Jesus has dealt with sin on the cross, if he's dealt with the power of it, he's not asking us to deal with the power of sin. He's done that for us, hasn't he? Yeah. 
So, he's, so Paul is saying, you need to do something else. And I think what will really help us is to look at the difference between salvation and sanctification. So has everybody heard of that word sanctification? Because it's a little bit of an old-fashioned word uh, these days. Has anyone not heard of the word sanctification? It's okay if you've not heard of that word. Everybody's heard of the word sanctification. Fantastic. So if we look at 2 Corinthians 5.17, just turn with me to that. 2 Corinthians 5.17. You'll know this verse really well. This is one of the best verses in the whole of the New Testament, in my opinion, because it's liberating and it tells us the truth of what has actually happened to us as believers in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, can you put your hand up if you're in Christ? Okay, that's most people in the room. Some people not, not yet decided. I can help you with that. But if you're in Christ, that's all of us. They are a new creation. The old has passed away. The old has passed away. It's gone. The new, it says, behold, the new has come. I like that. Behold. You need to know that the new has actually come. And it's really important that we understand that. When we are saved, our old nature is dealt with. We are now a new creation. What's tricky for all of us is, when you first get saved, there's probably people in this room who have been saved for varying lengths of time, but I'm sure those of us who have been saved for a long time can remember how we felt before and after we got saved. And you do feel new, don't you? But there are some things that don't feel new. There are thoughts that you have, there are impulses that you feel, there are habits that we have that are not new, but that we know we are still new. And that is what salvation is, is that we have been transformed into a new creation, but there is some old stuff. And what's really important for all of us as believers is to understand what the old stuff is, because we mustn't misunderstand that as somehow we're not quite a new creation or we're kind of transitioning. I hate to use that word, but it's buzzword. We're transitioning from old to new. We're not. We've just been told really clearly by Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, no, you're a new creation. He didn't say you're partly new. You're getting there. You're on a journey to new. He said, no, God's done it. He did it on the cross and it was a once and for all act. And that's what the aorist tense means, by the way. It's a Greek tense. And it means something that happened in the past that was a decisive act that was a once-for-one-time thing. can't happen again. It's not a repeatable thing. It's happened once. And that's exactly what Paul's telling us in Ephesians 4. Something happened. It happened once. It was decisive in your life. And it was once and for all time. That is what salvation is. So go with me to 1 Thessalonians 5. So if you're in Ephesians, just go to the right a little bit. Not far. Just at the end of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians and Colossians. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23 to 24. And Paul says this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely... And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful 
he will surely do it. So now Paul is starting to drill down into our component parts, isn't he? And what Paul's actually talking about, he uses the word sanctify. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And sanctify means to separate something from and thus to change it. But he say, mate, he sanctify your whole spirit, soul and body so that we may be kept blameless. And the fact is that the difference between salvation and sanctification with salvation and what Jesus did on the cross, he dealt with the penalty of sin. We know that, don't we? We're forgiven. There's no penalty anymore for us. There's now no, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for we've been set free by the spirit of the law of Christ. Romans 8.1. But he's also delivered us not just from the penalty of sin, but he's also delivered us from the power of sin. A long time ago, Arthur Wallace wrote a book called Living God's Way. I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's a great book to disciple. And he said in there, it's not that we're, once we get saved, it's not that we're not able to sin anymore. It's that we're able not to. That's what's changed. That sin don't, doesn't have a power over us anymore. And God declares that over us. You're a new creation. You don't have to sin anymore. Sin cannot force you to do anything anymore. So the penalty of sin is gone. The power of sin is gone. But the presence of sin is still here, isn't it? Did anyone, when they got saved, stop sinning straight away? None of us. We all then sinned and then we had to keep short account with God and learn the lifestyle of repentance and bringing things before God and saying, look, I've done this again, Lord, and I need your forgiveness. And he's faithful to forgive our sins, the Apostle John says to us. So the process of sanctification is dealing with the presence of sin in our lives. And I think one of the helpful ways to understand this process of sanctification is to consider our parts, which Paul has just told us. Spirit, soul and body. Spirit is the word pneuma. And it just, it's the equivalent of ruach in the Old Testament. It means wind. It means something that's spiritual of the spiritual realms. And we know that the spiritual realms cannot be seen. This is the seen realm. But there is another realm. It's not up there. We talk about heaven being up there. It's all around us. The spiritual realm is here. But it's unseen. And our spirits are unseen. When I look at Pete, I can't see your spirit, Pete. But I know that you are a spirit residing within a body. And the other word Paul uses here is suke. Suke. That's where we get psychology from. And it's translated as soul. And that is that part of us, our personality, our mind, our thoughts, that makes up our soul, our suke. And then the last word he uses is soma, which just means this. It's just the physical body that we have, the case. Everything's encased in a soma. So we're made up of those three parts and understanding how each of them is affected by our salvation will really help us with the process of sanctification and walking in newness of life. And one of the things I would like to do, which I think would just be helpful, is just do a little illustration of what God intended us to be like, what sin has made us and now what salvation has made us. So those three states what God intended, what sin has done, and now what salvation has done. 
and what the implications are for our sanctification. So I need three volunteers. You don't need to read anything out, so don't worry about that. And I need three chairs. So I'm going to grab a couple. Someone could bring another chair. Three volunteers. And you just put that one there, Ben. So just for the recording, we've got three chairs here. We have one that's at the front and we have two at the back. John, take a seat wherever you like. Take a seat. Who's going to be our third volunteer? Who, who wants to sit in Esther sitting in the front seat? Okay. So, we have Numa, we have Suke, and we have Soma. So just to do away with the Greek, <laughs> we have spirit, we have soul, and we have body. So when we were created, God created us this way. We've, we've been this way from the beginning. Mankind, that is. But God's intention... If you imagine this as a car, so I know you're going to have to use your imaginations, but imagine there's a car around this. This is a vehicle. This is going to go in a certain direction. At the minute, the spirit is the driver. Now, the spirit can communicate with God because God is spirit. So Esther can communicate with God as spirit in the car. And therefore, everything that she does in life can come through the spirit and the spirit's in the driving seat. Now, these two are still have a purpose and a use. So the soul, the mind, is able to look and analyse the world around it. So our five senses, the way we take in the physical seen realm. And the body is needed to live, isn't it? We need a body to keep everything going and make sure the car's still in one piece. If the body doesn't feed itself, well... These two are in trouble. So all of these component parts are needed. And God designed us so that our spirits would be in the driving seat. Spirits would decide where to go, but these two still have a role in the way that we live our lives. The problem was is that Satan came along and he spoke to Eve, but for all intents and purposes, he was talking to all of us. We have to understand that. This isn't about an individual couple in a garden so many millennia ago or anything like that he was talking to all of us and he said the reason why God has set these boundaries and told you to do what he's told you to do is because he doesn't want you to become like him and actually what I want you to do is to take the one thing that he's told you not to touch it doesn't matter that it was a tree it doesn't matter what it was called it was the one thing God said don't touch but Satan said um, told her to do that and then effectively when Eve looked at it she said what she saw there in that tree was something that was pleasing to the eye that's the body that's the physical appetite and it was also desirable to make one wise there was something that appealed you don't mind me touching the other just, just realized I didn't get any permissions for this as well so, okay thank you we normally have disclaimers but we just forgot this morning for the mind, there was an appeal there as well. Now, what then happened was, if you guys could all stand up for me, okay? John, if you just step aside. I'm going to move the seats like this. Now, Esther, you are now demoted to the back seat, and you guys are promoted to the front seat. This is what then became of humanity, and all that followed is that now we have these two in the front seat. And by the way, they've not decided who's going to drive. They both think they can drive. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> and the spirit is demoted to the back seat. But our spirits are still alive. We may be dead in our sins, but if you look around you at the world, people still have spiritual life. They have a sense in them that there's something spiritual, don't they? So our spirit isn't gone. It's just demoted to the back seat. It's rendered powerless. It's rendered ineffective. And there's a barrier now that stops Esther speaking to God and getting any direction at all. These two are now in charge. Now, the difficulty we have here is that these two don't even have driving licenses. <laughs> they are not qualified as drivers. But they think they are. And that's the problem. So sin fooled mankind into believing you don't need your spirit. You don't even need to communicate with God. You can do all of it through your body and your mind. And throughout history, we'll see people that to various degrees, one of these has got control. In some societies, it's the body, and everything is driven by the physical appetites. Hedonism. You know, and we look in the word and we see plenty of that. In other society, it's wisdom. It's the wisdom of man that's driving everything. No, I'm the driver. You push aside. But neither of these two are qualified to drive. And they don't know what God's will is. And God is the only one that knows the direction that they're supposed to be driving in. So they are really in a pickle, aren't they? Or should I say this? We're really in a pickle. <laughs> Until we met Christ. And what happened was then we became a new creation. And we say, what has happened to us when we got saved? Well, simply this. The power of sin was broken. The relationship was restored. And now God says, you are promoted back to the front seat, Esther. You too are demoted to the back seat. Stand up. Back in your places, please. Thank you. God has restored things the way they should be. Now the car, the vehicle, it's under the right direction. It can be listening to the direction of God. Now we have another problem, though. This is all great, but these two have not really accepted what's happened. They've not really got the memo, and they're not happy about it. Agreed? Sometimes it's the mind. I really think I know better. Second-guessing what God is saying. Second-guessing some of the things that we read in the word of God. Well, I don't, I don't see why that is. Or I don't understand this. Or that seems inconsistent with that. Or I don't understand why God did this in this situation. And all of that is going on. And there's this all the time. Look, excuse me. I don't think I understand this. I don't think you're going the right way. I'm not sure about where we're supposed to be going. Sometimes it's the body. The body's trying to drive the vehicle and doing the same thing, a tap on the shoulder. I'm not happy about this. I'm not happy about being asked to do this. I want to do that. I prefer to do this. I don't like this. It's uncomfortable. It's demanding. This is not what I want. So these two are still making demands. But here's the really good news, is that Esther has been empowered and reauthorized so that now she can turn around to these two and say, you two are under my authority. You need to get in line. You understand? So two great things here is that Esther can hear the voice of the spirit and can see ahead in the spiritual realms and say, this is how I know I need to live my life. This is now I know where we need to go. 
But the Spirit also now has a job, which is to discipline these two to fall in line. And when I talk to people that struggle in the area of the intellect, often it's because they're not doing that. They're not allowing their spirit to say, look, you may not understand all the details of this, and you may not even see the wisdom of what we're doing, but I trust him. And I am understanding it by faith and not by intellect. And this is the thing, your mind over time, Paul says in Romans 12, that we present ourselves as living sacrifices and that our minds are changed, our minds are transformed. There's a renewing going on. And over time, the mind can be reprogrammed to accept instructions from our spirit. And that is largely what sanctification is about. The mind will have a tendency and the spirit will say, no, I know what you're thinking, but I've heard from God on this. Or, no, I know you don't understand this, the thing that you're going through, but I'm seeing in faith the hand of the Lord. And the mind will say, well, I'm not seeing it. I don't see any physical evidence. And all I can go on is what I see and what I feel and what I hear. And the spirit says, I know that, but I have other senses that you don't have. So you need to listen to me. And over time, your mind will learn to say, okay, you were right before. I've got evidence of that. I trust you. I'm going to do what you say. And the wonderful thing is that over time, this mind will start to repeat the things that the spirit is saying. May not, may not perceive things in the same way, but in any given situation will say, but I know that this is the principles of God's kingdom. I've learned those things and I've learned that they work. And so that this becomes a little bit second nature to the mind. And then the mind doesn't need so much telling. The trouble with the body is, this is often the problem. It's a bit stubborn, isn't it? It's a bit stubborn. It's the one that sits in the back and says, are we there yet, isn't it? Yeah? Are we at heaven yet? Have we done all the work we need to do? Nope. And this sometimes does need a little extra work. But we're all different. And we're, for, for, for all of us, this equation works a little differently, if you like. But the important thing is just understanding the process that's gone on and then where God wants us to get us to. Because... I'm presenting this as if it's like a conflict. We don't have a multiple personality going on. We don't have three different voices that are shouting in our head. Well, maybe you do feel like that sometimes. I don't know. But that, that is not where we're going. That's not what God has designed us to be. Actually, he's designed these three parts of ourselves to work as one harmonious whole. And the mind and the body can learn to trust the spirit to drive the vehicle and to lead in the right direction and can actually contribute to that journey. So we can train our bodies. Paul says, I I train my body like an athlete to actually assist the whole thing. And the mind can be applied. Paul says in Colossians, set your heart and minds on things above. So the mind can be employed not to be a sort of unwilling hostage in this whole thing, (laughs) fighting all the way, but to actually contribute. And neither... Does it mean that these are just programmed like zombies? But actually they learn to work in unison and in harmony so that all of us are heading in the right direction. And that's really the simplest way to understand the process of sanctification.
So can we have a round of applause for our volunteers? <laughs> no one was harmed in the making of this, this illustration. What does it mean for us is that putting off and putting on, well, today we're talking about putting off. It means putting off the habits and tendencies that we had before. And that means for our minds, allowing our minds to dictate what we're going to do. We don't switch off our brains and they don't just become programmable computers. Our minds are a willing participant in this process. But unfortunately, the mind is still struggling with the presence of sin and still thinks in the way that sin told it to think. So therefore, that scripture in Romans 12, Paul is actually using a word which means to bend. It means your mind is, uh, if you can imagine like a, um, I don't know, if you've ever sort of walked up one of those paths, like a coastal path, you ever walked on one of those where hundreds or thousands of people have walked already and there's like a line and you follow it, don't you? You think, well, it's easier in there, isn't it? But actually, what you're being forced to do is step outside of that and walk in fresh grass and make a fresh line. But it's so comfortable, isn't it? Just to slip. It's a lot easier to walk in the path that thousands have trodden before you. And in this case, it's where your mind has gone before. It's the thought patterns that become the path that we like to slip back into. It's easier. But the Spirit says, trust me, you don't want to go down that path anymore. We need to break that thought pattern. And the same with the body. It has certain things. They talk about muscle memory where you don't have to think about it anymore, but subconsciously we do things. Like when you drive to work and you've got no recollection of going through any traffic lights and you just hope that you didn't go through a red. Your body did all that for you. Your subconscious mind did all that for you. And our bodies and our minds have this subconscious tendency to tend back towards our old patterns of lifestyle. And what we have to be in putting off is active in the process of saying, my spirit is in control of this whole thing and my spirit is going to be fed from the word of God by the spirit of God today so that all of my impulses that drive my behaviour are going to come from my spirit, not from my body. They're not going to be driven by my appetites today and they're not going to be driven by my thoughts where often they're a problem for lots of us. We struggle with thoughts and different things. Instead, my impulses are going to be driven by that and therefore my decisions are going to be driven from my spirit outwards. And that often then means when we do that that we feel differently about things. And that's just the mind and the body coming into alignment with what our spirit is feeling because our spirit has this hotline of life that's coming directly from God, directly from the throne room and is lifting us up And the spirit is passing on that life, if you like, so that we feel in mind, body and soul, sorry, spirit, soul and body, that we're totally full of him and totally able to live as he wants us to live. So I just want to leave you with a couple of questions and we'll, we'll leave it there. First question is this. What do you feel is really driving your life? And and I'm not asking this as a singular question. I don't mean what's the one thing that's driving your life. But I mean day to day, what tends to drive your life? Is it the same thing? Or does it tend to be different things? Is it sometimes maybe your life is being driven by your spirit 
or is it being driven by your body? Is your, is your life being driven by your mind? Is your mind in the driving seat again? And that whole thing, it was obvious when everyone changed places, wasn't it? Do you know what? It's not that obvious when it happens in here. And it can happen just like that. And we just have to recognise that. And that's what Paul is doing. He's saying, look, I need to alert you to this. God has done everything he needs to do, but there's something now you need to do in the truth of this, is that these parts of you will start to try and drive things. But you've got to say, no, this is how God wants me to live. So I just want you to think about those things between now and next week. And next week, we're going to talk about what it means to put on and how God has enabled us to do this process. Because the really good thing I want to leave you with is this. It kind of looked like Esther was left to it all on your own, didn't it? Esther's now in charge of the car. She's got to keep these two in line, which just looks like hard work, doesn't it? But he hasn't left us on our own to do that at all. He's given us means of grace. He's provided us with things that will mean Esther have, you have everything you need to keep these two in line. And actually, not just to keep them in line, but to bring them over into a position where now you're functioning as a harmonious whole. Just as God is three in one, we can function in that same way, harmonious and whole. Amen? So, Father, I just want to thank you for sending your son. Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus, and we thank you that on the cross, he dealt with everything that needed to be dealt with. And Lord, we are so grateful for that. We're grateful that we are new creations in Christ Jesus. We're grateful that we have everything we need for life and godliness. And Lord, it's our prayer today that that which you've given us, that wonderful gift, would be something we can walk in in fullness of life. That Lord, we wouldn't live a life that's struggling or in conflict, but Lord, live a life of grace, live a life of fulfilment, And Lord, your promise to us was that we would have life and life in abundance. And Lord, that's what we want. So I just pray between now and next week, Lord, that you would just speak to us, Holy Spirit. And if there are any areas of our life, Lord, where that proper hierarchy of authority is just being sometimes tipped on its head or not working properly, that Spirit of God, you would speak into our hearts. And Lord, we just give you... We don't give you permission, Lord, because you're our Lord, but we ask you to speak to us and show us, Lord, where maybe some adjustments need to come. And we commit everything to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you. Thanks, folks. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.